Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey folks, Roller Martin here. Today is Thursday, October 17th, 2019. We're broadcasting live from the National Museum of African American History and Culture, where the American Heart Association is holding the finals for their business accelerator program. We'll tell you more about that later in the show. But we'll be dealing with the death of Baltimore Congressman Elijah Cummings. He died early this morning. We will hear from four members of Congress as they reminisce about their colleague. We'll talk about his life and legacy, including with our panel, individuals who worked alongside Congressman Cummings. Also uh, on today's show, Virginia says couples are no longer required to disclose their race to get a marriage license. Another Jim Crow law bites the dust. And, of course, the United Auto Workers and General Motors appear to have an agreement to end a five-week strike. We'll give you those details. Also, folks, a Louisiana man has to admit to a crime in order to gain his freedom after 42 years for a crime he says he absolutely did not commit. It's time to bring the funk. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to 
Sad day all across the nation's capital as well as in Baltimore and also around the country as remembrances pour in for Elijah Cummings. He is a member of Congress from Baltimore. Died early this morning. His office said around 2.45 a.m. Eastern. He died uh, in at Johns Hopkins University Hospital as a result of, um, of course, he has had a long-term uh, illness for the last several years. Of course, this is someone, of course, 68 years old, who served in Congress uh, nearly 30 years. He came to Congress in 1986 when he replaced Kwasi Fume, who left that position to become the CEO of the NAACP, the son of a sharecropper from South Carolina. So one a counselor once said would not be able uh, to talk, so uh, grew up to become one of the greatest orators in Congress, a man of conviction, a man of faith, a man of courage, and someone, of course, who so many people miss. Uh, he was leading the impeachment fight against Donald Trump as, as the uh, chair of the House Oversight Committee. It is a huge, huge loss. And here is the speech that he gave when he first was elected, his first 60-second speech on the floor of the U.S. House. And there's a poem that Perrin Mitchell said many, many years ago that I say sometimes 20 times a day, and it's a very simple poem, but it's one that I live by. It says, I only have a minute, 60 seconds in it, forced upon me, I did not choose it, but I know that I must use it, give account if I abuse it, suffer if I lose it, only a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. And so I join you as we move forward to uplift not only the nation, but the world. May God bless you all, and may God bless America. Well, stunning to hear uh, that a counselor once said that he would not be able uh, to speak fluently and clearly, yet here is someone who had amazing and powerful oratorical skills, uh, often used uh, as he uh, sat on that committee, the House Oversight Committee, uh, when he even was uh, the ranking member when Republicans were in control, uh, providing thunderous, thunderous uh, uh, comments, often against uh, so many folks on the panel. And then even when he became the chair of that committee, he made it perfectly clear he was in charge. Here is Elijah Cummings' to, uh, sense of how he spoke and how he ran his committee. I've said it before, I'll say it again. 200 to 300 years from now, people will look back on this moment and they will ask the question, what did you do? What did you do when there was an effort to undercount your neighbors? What did you do when there were folks who literally said that they were going to uh, create a scheme by which whites 
and and non-Hispanic, the, the uh, Republicans and non-Hispanic whites would be benefited, and others not. No, no. You, what we've got to say is that we stood up, and all we're doing is trying to get the information. We can't, and and we have been stonewalled, not just by the way on the census. Uh, we have been stonewalled with regard to information concerning things like uh, hurricane relief, things like the the, the, the various uh, hush payment money, uh, uh, security clearances. I mean, stonewalled all the way around, and the White House providing us with not a single document. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a, that's not America. We are simply better than that. And I'm hoping that all Americans will take a look at this. I may be dancing with the angels when all of this is corrected, but I got to tell you, we must fight for our democracy. I don't care whether you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, Conservative, or whatever. The Founding Fathers made it abundantly clear that they would put guardrails up to make sure that when our country slipped and fell a little bit, that we would be okay. They never anticipated that folk would come through and throw the guardrails to the side. And so we marched forward. And again, to, for me, it's a sad moment. Somebody asked me a moment ago, are you happy? No, I'm not happy. I'm not happy because, because we, are, we, we are in a position where we must defend this democracy. And so, again, I think it was, while it was a, a sad day, it was a day to say to Americans that we're standing up uh, and we are going to make sure uh, that the Congress of the United States uh, has its rightful power uh, and does what it's supposed to do. That is to be a check on the executive branch, and I thank you. Joining us right now on the phone line is Houston Congressman Al Green. Congressman Green, it certainly uh, has been a very difficult day for members of the Congressional Black Caucus as well as uh, all members of Congress. Um, last time you talked with uh, Congressman Cummings. Last time I talked to him was uh, several weeks ago, to be quite candid with you. As you know, he's been under the weather, and I did have the opportunity to just pat him on the back and let him know that I loved him. Um, he was a good brother. He was a brilliant brother, but he didn't allow his brilliance to outshine his goodness. He exuded goodness. Um, he was the kind of guy that you would want to have sitting next to you when you're in a hearing and you're not sure what to ask. Uh, he could always provide you some intelligence that would be worthwhile, something worth saying. Um, everybody knows that he... He, he was known for saying uh, that we are better than this. But you, you knew that he meant it. It wasn't just words. They, they were words that were coming from his heart. They may have been manufactured in his head, but they were delivered from his heart. It certainly has been a very difficult time for him over the last uh, several years, uh, of course, dealing with illness. Uh, he had been in and out of the hospital. Uh, I know he was, uh, we did not see him at the Phoenix Awards uh, at the CBCF dinner, which took place on September 15th. I had sent a text message uh, to his wife, Maya Rockamore Cummings, the next day saying that we certainly had missed him. And she asked that uh, we pray for him 
Uh, and but but even even with all of that, even with being in a wheelchair, uh, being with a walker, uh, he worked until the end. Yes, uh, he was a workaholic. Uh, he always uh, carried himself such that you knew he was on his way to do something, or he was just leaving some place where something was being done. He was always in the work mode. And it wasn't just work in the sense that he was trying to do something. Work is forced times distance. He moved things. He made things happen. He was there to fight for Harriet Tubman being on the $20 bill. He fought to help us to ban the box uh, such that people who were leaving prison would have an opportunity to have opportunities. Uh, he was a part of the avant-garde when it came to human rights and human dignity and just standing up for people, people that he would never meet and greet. He was there for them here in the halls of Congress. I remember him giving me this quote. He, he was famous for quoting Dr. King, and uh, we were talking about, to uh, be very candid with you, uh, the president and some of his antics. And he said, there comes a time when silence becomes betrayal, meaning that uh, you have to stand up, you have to speak. And he was one who would do this. I, I admired him greatly. Congressman Al Green of Houston, I really appreciate it. Thank you so very much for sharing your remembrances of Congressman Elijah Cummings. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Folks, it's interesting that we're here at the National Museum of African American History and Culture. The last time I saw Congressman Cummings was actually in this building. It was a few months ago, Stanley Nelson, uh, the acclaimed uh, documentarian, uh, they were hosting a screening of his documentary, Boss. And uh, and so the, the 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 I got in here uh, right before they had started, and so they started the um, they had started the screening, and so I saw Congressman Cummings, and he was in his wheelchair, uh, and so I walked up right behind him, and I, I whispered in his ear, his left ear, I said, "Keep kicking Trump's ass." And so then, uh, and so he didn't, he didn't, did turn around. So I, and I walked back to my spot. So he, he sort of turned this way and he saw it was me and he just bust out laughing. Uh, I mean, he let out this huge laugh. And anybody, of course, uh, who uh, would come uh, into contact with Congressman Cummings uh, knew that when he uh, would let out that laugh, uh, you can hear it uh, all the time. And so that was uh, something that uh, that that image, of course, uh, I always remember just him just just laughing uh, at what I had to say. And the bottom line is that he look, he was tough. He was someone uh, who took no stuff, who ran his committee and made it perfectly clear that he was in charge, uh, was fair about. It, but was not going to allow Republicans to run over him. Uh, remember, early in this presidency, uh, Elijah Cummings met with Donald Trump at the White House uh, to work on prescription drugs. And he said that if you uh, work with us, you could be a very good president. Yet it's the same president a few months ago who trashed Baltimore, talked about it was rat infested uh, and had nasty things to say about Congressman Elijah Cummings. And so that's what we're dealing with in the nation's capital. You, we have heard tributes uh, from, uh, of course, lots of Democrats, but also a number of Republicans as well. Joining us right now is Congressman Emanuel Cleaver uh, from Kansas City. Uh, again, another member of Congress, the member of the Congressional Black Caucus. Uh, Congressman Cleaver, uh, certainly condolences to the CBC losing one of its members. Uh, just your 
uh, just your thoughts and remembrances uh, about your uh, colleague, the late Congressman Elijah Cummings. Well, we we just left a, a, a little uh, a private spiritual uh, hour together with uh, the Congressional Black Caucus, uh, uh, during which uh, I and Bobby Rush, who is uh, also a an ordained uh, minister, um, uh, carried words to our colleagues uh, uh, about Elijah Cummings and about death and some other things that relate to uh, us uh, as a family, as a, an African-American family here in the, in the nation's capital. Elijah Cummings was a good friend of mine. Uh, when I left the floor last night, the last conversation I had with was Marsha Fudge. And during that conversation, I agreed that I would uh, reach uh, Elijah this morning, uh, early in the morning, because he had told me to call him uh, early when I needed to reach him. Uh, but uh, I um, was awakened this morning early uh, with a phone call telling me that uh, he had uh, indeed died, and we had no idea that uh, I guess he had slipped into a coma. But uh, he, he was a good and decent man. Uh, he is the reason that I, I'm supporting impeachment. I was very slow to support impeachment uh, because I didn't want to, you know, create uh, two Americas uh, that uh, it seems as if we may inevitably do uh, create. But when the president of the United States um, attacked Elijah Cummings, attacked his community, attacked uh, his city, uh, just think about it, the president of the United States, an American president, attacking an American city verbally. And uh, I thought, this is too much. And so I announced uh, my change on Fox. I was on a, a Fox uh, uh, interview when I said, uh, I'm now supporting impeachment. I was asked, well, why are you supporting it now? And I said, because of what the president did with uh, Elijah Cummings. And uh, Neil Cavuto said, well, that's no reason for impeachment. I said, you're absolutely right. But if anybody can do this, if anybody can uh, attack somebody like Elijah Cummings thoughtlessly, pointlessly, that person's not a good person. And, he, and he's subject to do a lot of other things. So uh, that's the place that he held in my heart. Uh, uh, he, I did, he and I did have uh, problems uh, because he was a jagged preacher. And uh, he and I, uh, you know, couldn't, could never resolve the fact that he was, uh, he went to law school. I went to seminary. I don't try, didn't try to practice law and he should stop trying to practice ministry. But he preached every chance he got and you probably know that. <laughs> and um, so uh, that was, that was our big argument. Um, his mother and father were clergy members, uh, Pentecostal. And uh, I, I, I had him in Kansas City, introduced him to, to speak at a banquet, and then he preached. Um, and so uh, other than that, he was a fabulous human being. Uh, he, he, uh, he, many people probably don't know, he's Phi Beta Kappa. He, uh, he asked me not to tell people that when I introduced him, but of course, uh, we were proud of, of that fact. Uh, and uh, Elijah Cummings lived in the house where he grew up in the neighborhood where he grew up. And some of us who went down to Baltimore when they were in the midst of all of those problems, uh, and we were all just uh, awestruck by the fact that everybody on those in that community, and some of them um, uh, were, were, were alcoholics, some of them were uh, hoodlums. Many of them had arrest records who 
uh, gathered around Elijah Cummings. They all loved him. They loved him. Uh, I mean, he was who he was. He never changed. Uh, and with a Phi Beta Kappa and, and all the other accolades he, he's received over his lifetime, he was, in fact, loved uh, in his community. And uh, theologically, uh, you know, we, we're told people don't love you in, in your home, own hometown. Uh, so says Jesus. Uh, I think uh, I, I, Elijah Cummings may be the one exception. Congressman Emanuel Cleaver, we certainly appreciate you uh, joining us on Roller Martin Unfiltered uh, to share your thoughts and remembrances uh, about the late Congressman Elijah Cummings. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Good to be with you. Folks, uh, in a moment, I'm going to be joined by Congressman Stephen Horsford of Nevada. And, and when you talk about, again, uh, just you know the kind of guy Elijah Cummings was. So when we had TV One's News One Now, uh, we had a first anniversary party, which coincided with my birthday party. And I had it in my house, at my house. So this was, um, we launched this show in 2013, so this was in 2014. Uh, and I invited uh, Maya Rockamore and Congressman Cummings. And uh, even though I lived uh, way out in Northern Virginia, they came, they came from Baltimore and he had such a good time. And so... I tell you, first of all, he loved uh, the gumbo that my my dad made, as well as the crawfish etouffee. Uh, but that was this uh, cake, this uh, this uh, uh, cream cheese filling uh, cake my mom made. And man, I said, "Look, you got to get a piece." The day he's about to leave, I said, "We're gonna cut this cake and get a piece before you go." And uh, we cut that cake, and he said, "Oh man," he said. Look, I'm glad I stayed, uh, and uh, I had to uh, I had to uh, have a few extra pieces of cake for him uh, to take home, him and his wife. But uh, he, he had a great time that night. It was great to have him there to celebrate uh, with us uh, the first anniversary of News One Now. Uh, and the reality, look, he was supportive of the show. He would come on the show. Uh, we would call him early in the morning. Uh, sometimes he would like, dang, Roland, it's early. Uh, he would also come on the Time Join the Morning Show, and I always appreciated uh, that he would uh, he would take my phone calls and come on to the show. Uh, do we have Congressman Horsford uh, on the line? Good evening. How are you? Congressman Horsford, glad to have you on. Glad to have you back on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, just your initial thoughts on the passing of Congressman Elijah Cummings. Well, our entire country, uh, the institution of Congress, uh, lost a fierce soldier and fighter, uh, for so many important causes. Um, as one of the newer members of Congress, first and foremost, my heart and condolences go out to uh, Dr. Maya Rocky Moore and the entire Cummings family uh, for their loss. Um, know that we are lifting you up and praying for you. Uh, they've been great friends and mentors uh, to me and my wife, and um, just very heartbroken that uh, he's no longer with us. But one thing, we all got together tonight, the Congressional Black Caucus members. We prayed. Um, Congressman Cleaver and, and Congressman Bobby Rush uh, gave a word, and uh, we are going to carry on Congressman Cummings' spirit, his legacy, uh, everything that he has fought for, uh, because that's what he would want and expect of us at this time. 
Obviously, this is uh, a huge loss, not only because he was a city member of Congress, but also uh, he was one of the most important voices uh, when it came to the impeachment inquiry of Donald Trump. He has been uh, one of the leading forces. Uh, and so uh, it also is a loss for House Democrats uh, because of his leadership uh, at this time, along with Congressman Jerry Nadler, as well as Congressman Adam Schiff. Well, no doubt about it. He has played a very important and integral role uh, as the chairman of the Oversight Government Reform Committee. You know, he, he's literally been advising the speaker, uh, the leadership, Chairman Schiff. They talked about the fact that just on Friday we had a conference call with the entire House Democratic Caucus, and Chairman Cummings was, you know, telling us, where things were with the investigation and the uh, current proceedings. And so uh, it will be a tremendous loss to the process um, because of his longstanding experience and knowledge of, of, of how government works, the inspector general process, and so many aspects of the oversight committee uh, that he ran um, but we have a job. We have to carry it on. Uh, I, I am honored. I, in my first term in Congress, I actually served on the Oversight Committee under his leadership. Um, and like I said, he was a mentor to me. Uh, he's been mentor to many, many members of Congress, not just Democrats, but Republicans as well, um, because he really took the time to care about other human beings, um, no matter how busy he was, no matter what issues were facing uh, him in his health in his health issues, uh, he was always there to listen and to give a, a, a word of advice. All right, Congressman Stephen Horsford of Nevada, we sure appreciate it, sir. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thanks, Roland. Folks, we're going to go to a break. We come back. I'll talk with my panel, including uh, one of them who actually serve as an intern in the office of Congressman Elijah Cummings. Uh, we'll be back. Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roller Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, fam, it's almost that time. The holiday season, of course, is, for many of us, the favorite time of the year. Now, whether you celebrate uh, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Ramadan, Christmas, Kwanzaa, New Year's, all of these, of course, from October to the end of the year, this is when you think about spending time with the people you love the most. This is also the time to count your blessings and support those less fortunate and look at how you can have an impact on their lives. Well, I have the perfect opportunity for you to be a holiday hero have a major impact on other families. Here's the deal. Right now, hundreds of thousands of Americans are sitting in jail without being convicted of a crime. Why? Because they lack the financial resources to pay their bail. Now think about it. If you are arrested for any minor offense, you'll be taken directly to jail. If you don't have bail money, whether it's a few hundred or a few thousand dollars, you will stay there until a court date is scheduled. Now that could be days, weeks, or even months. America's bail system is broken and has created a two-tier system of justice. 
one for the rich and one for the poor. Folks, freedom should not be should, freedom should be free. That's why the Ebony Foundation is partnering with the Bell Project and is sponsoring the Home by the Holiday campaign. With your help, our goal is to bail out 1,000 people by New Year's Day. Now, how's that for a holiday gift? A donation from you can change someone's life tomorrow, and here's why it is critical. People of color represent upwards of 90% of the jail population across the country. It ranges from 50 to 90% depending upon where you are. Now, of course, then when they stayed in jail, 90% of people with misdemeanors ended up pleading guilty. However, when bail was paid, 50% of the cases were dismissed and less than 2% received the jail sentence. Sometimes justice needs just us to join the fight. Folks, you can be a holiday hero by, by donating 25, 50 bucks or more to help the Ebony Foundation bring our brothers and sisters home for the holidays. To donate, go to homebytheholiday.com. That's H-O-M-E-B-Y-T-H-E-H-O-L-I-D-A-Y.com. And of course, the Ebony Foundation uh, is tied to Ebony Magazine. And so we certainly appreciate uh, the work that they're doing to assist those who are most in need. All right, folks, I'm broadcasting from the National Museum of African American History and Culture uh, for here for the American Heart Association Business Accelerated Program. Right now, I want to talk to our panel. In studio is Kelly Bethea, communication strategist, Amisha Cross, political commentator and democratic strategist, uh, Deontay Johnson, president, Black Conservative uh, Federation. Uh, Kelly, I want to start with you. You actually interned in the office of Congressman Cummings. Um, uh, what was that like and uh, your thoughts on his passing? I've been crying off and on all day. I didn't think that his death would hit me so hard, but when I looked back and really just took the time to reflect on not only my time there, but what has happened since that time, um, I realized that he made an incredible impact on me. Basically, what Cummings did that I realized today is that he made space for me in a in a, in a space w that wasn't meant for me to be in anyway. And the reason and the reason why that space even existed is because he is the one who created the space. Um, he took pride in mentorship. Um, he took pride in allowing youth to shine. And I feel like that's what I did there. Um, it, it's going to be interesting um, and also difficult to see who's going to fill his shoes, if anybody possibly could. Um, and I think that saddens me even more, because while we have advocates um, in our society today, they're not necessarily in a position um, to advocate. And the people who are in a position to advocate aren't advocating. And the thing about Elijah Cummings was he was an advocate um, through and through. Before he was in Congress, he was an attorney. Before he was an attorney, he was an activist. He's been fighting for us literally his entire life. Um, he's been fighting for Baltimore his entire life. And to, to not see somebody um, currently um, remotely prepared to be in, in a position to even look at his place, let alone stand in it. Um, it it's frustrating to me, but um, as I could, I could go on all day about my memories of him, just how much he impacted me, exactly how I met him, all of his quotes. Um, 
the the mentorship through osmosis just being in this space was a blessing in itself it was an honor and a privilege to work with him to work for him um and to be by him by his side in many events however short my time was there um and he will be deeply missed amisha um uh, amisha cross you worked with him at the cbc institute Absolutely. And I think that um, at the Congressional Black Caucus Institute, um, Elijah Cummings was someone who was not only a lion of Congress, but also one of an understanding of the next generation of leadership. Um, there were times where he had at least 10 different meetings that were happening at the same time that something was going on at the Congressional Black Caucus Institute. And he took his time to come and meet with each of the fellows personally, have those conversations, learn about your history, learn about where you come from, and provide that level of encouragement to what we could make this nation become. And I went through the Congressional Black Caucus Institute during the Trump administration. So this was a time where a lot of black students, just like me, felt that America had taken the wrong turn. And he was someone who, though feeling that we, you know, had mis were misguided in some ways, felt that we could get back on track and that we could reach an understanding where all Americans were created equal, where we could still fight for those civil rights and that engagement that he had fought for his entire life, and that all of us and our futures mattered. And I think that in those, in those conversations with him, in the time that he took with us, people who were looking towards what the future might look like, it meant a lot. It meant a lot to not only have his encouragement, but also hear those stories of him fighting and being in the trenches, um, not only in Baltimore and reminding us that it matters to be in your hometown fighting the good fight, but also that we have to take this to the national level, because even when there's progress that happens in your area, there are still so many places where black people are left behind. And I think that for young people specifically looking for somebody who had that voice, who had that leadership, Elijah Cummings meant something greater. He showed us every day what it meant to devote your entire life to the betterment of something stronger and greater than you. And I think that once you sacrifice that much and you continue to push, to push regardless of who's in office, to push regardless of the political party, because he also pushed Democrats, because at the end of the day, Democrats aren't necessarily known for doing excessive amounts of greatness for a lot of our black communities as well. He laid the groundwork for so many people to come. And I think that having that level of a model in front of us made a huge difference. And to, to his family, to his friends, to those who have been staffers, um, my, my condolences to you, but know that Elijah Cummings was bigger than America. At the end of the day, he is what laid the groundwork for a future of progress for us. And I think that his shoes will be extremely hard to fill, but he has given us our march marching orders. Uh, Deontay, uh, Republicans also uh, weighed in with, with their thoughts. Uh, Trey Gowdy, who uh, who often uh, butted heads with Congressman Cummings on the House Oversight Committee, uh, he said Elijah Cummings was one of the most powerful, beautiful, and compelling voices in American politics. The power and the beauty came from his authenticity, his conviction, the sincerity with which he held his beliefs. We rarely agree on political matters. You know this when I and then he went on. He, he actually he, he actually he issued actually he issued about, about six or eight tweets uh, in a row. But that was just the, the, the first of those tweets. Go ahead. You know when I uh, all day I've been thinking of one thing and the thing that I've been thinking of is Second Timothy uh, four seven. It says I have fought a good fight. I have uh, finished my race and I kept the faith. Um, while Congressman, uh, I've never I've never. I've got a chance to get close with the congressman, and I've never agreed with him on a pu pu political strategy or political or public uh, solutions or policy solutions. It is very important to know that Congre the congressman 
was a staple for not just Democrats, but black Republicans as well, as that is a black Republican that is starting out young and it has started out young and has aspirations to go to grow in the movement, uh, the congressman definitely provides a beacon of light there for all of us. Uh, of course, uh, Donald Trump also ordered flags to be uh, lowered to half-mast, uh, and he did issue a tweet uh, marking the uh, passing of Congressman Cummings. Of course, uh, those two uh, went back and forth when uh, it was uh, Trump who trashed Baltimore, uh, and specifically uh, Congressman Cummings. Uh, but Cummings made it perfectly clear he was not going to engage uh, in a back and forth. He said he was going to continue to do his job. And so uh, it has certainly been a very difficult day for those of us uh, who knew and loved and appreciated Congressman Elijah Cummings. Uh, and uh, certainly our thoughts and prayers go out to his wife, Dr. Maya Rockamore Cummings, as well as his children as well. And again, so many people uh, in Baltimore who had great appreciation uh, for his life legacy uh, and work. We'll continue to celebrate his life over the next several days uh, until his home going. Uh, Got to go to break right now. We come back. I want to talk about this case out of Louisiana. Well, a black man served 42 years in prison for a crime he says he didn't commit. But in order for him to get out, he had to agree to a lower crime. I want to talk about that with our panel. That's coming up next to Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to rollermartinunfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. rollermartinunfiltered.com. Taking place in Cabo, November 7th through the 11th. Of course, if you want to attend, uh, go to lifeluxjazz.com, L-I-F-E-L-U-X-E-J-A-Z-Z.com. But if you cannot be in Cabo for those four days, 14 different uh, amazing artists, then, of course, you could live stream it. Get, get your live stream pass at gfntv.com. That's gfntv.com. As I said, amazing artists, Gerald Albright. Alex Bunyan, Kirk Whalum, Donna McClurkin, uh, Shalia, Roy Ayers. Uh, man, it's going to be an unbelievable uh, three-day extravaganza. And so uh, look forward to you participating. And again, get your live streaming pass to cover those three days, all 14 concerts. You'll be able to watch right here on your phone, on your uh, iPad computer. Does not matter. Go to gfntv.com. That's gfntv.com to get your live stream pass. All right, folks, uh, an amazing story out of Louisiana. Elvis Brooks, he walked out of the infamous Louisiana State Penitentiary uh, known as Angola uh, today after serving time for 42 years, his entire adult life. He says for a crime he did not commit. Now, um, the Innocence Project, 
they found evidence that prosecutors withheld information showing that Brooks' fingerprints did not match those found at the scene, as well as other irregularities. Uh, but he agreed to a lesser charge of armed robbery. Prosecutors said he had already served 42 years in prison, so therefore he should be released. They contend he did commit the crime. He said he did not want to have to admit to this, uh, but he wanted to be able to get out and live a life. I want to start with you, Amisha. I mean, this is I mean, this is unbelievable. This man has maintained that he did not commit this crime for 42 years. He went in at the age of 20, the age of 20, gets out now. He's 62 years old, uh, and, uh, and, and he said he was left with no choice. He had to actually, uh, you know, plead guilty in order to get out. He said at that point, uh, I, just, I just wanted to be free. I'm disgusted by this. I'm disgusted by this story in general. One, because we know that in Louisiana, we've had over 20 cases that have been overturned under the exact same circumstances of someone who said that they saw somebody. This is supposedly eyewitness testimony that has been proven faulty across the United States um, years ago when even when they looked for actual DNA evidence, nothing actually confirmed this man was at, at, at the place, that he had any, um, any evidence of his actually committing the crime whatsoever. So I feel like in this case, you have someone who's literally spent their entire adult life, I can't imagine all the changes that happened in 40 plus years that he's been left out of. And to just get a taste of freedom in one of America's most tough prisons in the entire country, um, in, the, in, in the entire globe in many cases, it, him being able to and actually saying that, okay, well, I'm going to admit to this crime because he, all of his attorneys and everyone who he's dealt with thus far right. was not able to get him off, even though there was no physical evidence pointing to him actually being guilty of this crime, he wanted to have a breath of fresh air. He wanted to be like everyone else. And I think that after serving that long, it does not not make sense that he would. It's dismantling and it's disturbing to me as someone who's worked in criminal justice reform for a very long time that we still see cases like this where you have people who have spent decades behind bars for crimes that could be completely exonerated by simple DNA evidence. There is nothing placing this man at the scene of the crime except some Caucasian individuals who say that they saw him. The same people who in many cases we've Deont seen get completely dismantled. De Deontay, what's troubling here is that the Innocence Project uncovered where, where prosecutors withheld the evidence showing that it was not this man's fingerprints that were found at the, at, at the scene. And the problem here, the state was going to continue to fight this. He could have spent another three, four, or five years in prison trying to prove his innocence. And he said, I'm 62. I don't know how much time I got left. And so he was forced to admit to a crime, even though the prosecutors uh, had wrongdoing on their side. You know, Roland, this is, this reminds me, and every time we see stories like this, it just reminds us how important criminal justice reform is. Um, our criminal justice system needs to be repaired. It, it's, it's broken. It needs to be repaired. And we must come together, both Republicans and Democrats, come together to fix it. We need to figure out, you know, there are so many stories just like this, and this is just one that has been highlighted, but there are so many stories like this around the country, um, stories where I had own family members who have been in jail all of their life, they are close to getting out, and then somehow they magically die or they magically something happens to them. And so we have to talk about not just the release, but the treatment that is had inside of the uh, inside of these penitentiaries, but also what is it that we can do 
to make sure that they are getting the proper treatment with health, but also that, the, that their families are able to still communicate with them and still have time with them as well. Because being 62 years old and having to make the decision, it's a tough decision, and I'm sure, um, you know, he's like, I got to do what I got to do to get out. Uh, Kelly, um, what happened was there was an armed robbery. A customer was killed uh, in that armed robbery. That's what uh, he was convicted of. Um, but again, if you if to put the thing in perspective, this is a cinch. That man served 42 years, and we talked about Amber Geiger. She's going to serve 10 years for killing both of them, John. So he has served four times longer in the sentence she got, and she may get out actually after four or five years, but for 42 years, maintaining your innocence, and it pained him to have to admit to guilt, he said, but I wanted to walk free. I wanted to get out of this prison. If there was ever a time where um, a court, meaning the judge and prosecutors, should be hugging a defendant, it would be this case. They should be the ones asking for forgiveness for, from this man here, because he he's completely innocent. Um, the Innocence Project uh, does their best to find um, people in the system who really can be proven that they are innocent, and he's one of those people. So the fact that you know he, it, it's likely that he could have been uh, the charges could have been clear in five years. But again, he's 62. I completely understand why he would take a deal that would basically say time served, you know, you can live the rest of your life outside of a jail cell. Um, but right. like my colleagues were saying earlier, this is absolutely disgusting. Um, and the fact that, you know, Amber Geiger is only getting 10 years and we really know that's going to be no, no more than five, considering that she has parole, it, it, it is disgusting. And, you know, I know everybody keeps going back to the hugging and stuff that happened in the courtroom. I definitely disagreed with it. I have my own thoughts on that. But if there was ever a time for a court to, you know, combine church and state this one time, it would be in this case. And you know that's not going to happen because he's not blonde hair, blue-eyed, and a woman crying crocodile tears. All right, then. Uh, Kelly, Amisha, and Deontay, we surely appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Going to a break. We come back. We'll talk with the new chairman of the American Heart Association here for the National Museum of African American History and Culture, where the American Heart Association is having their business accelerator finals. Uh, we'll be back. Roller Martin Unfiltered in just a moment. You want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. 
All right, folks, welcome back. We're at the National Museum of African American History and Culture, where uh, in about 15 minutes, the American Heart Association will be having their the finals of their Business Accelerated Program. I'll be emceeing that program. Joining us right now is Bert Scott, the, the new chairman of the board, chair of the board of the American Heart Association. How are you doing? I'm doing terrific. How are you doing? Uh, all good. Uh, first and foremost, um, what's your goals? What's your focus to, as a new chair? Well, my, my goal is to really help people better understand how uh, health disparities impact people's lives in a real way. Uh, the American Heart Association cannot achieve its goals if we don't serve all communities. And, and uh, African-American and Hispanic communities are disproportionately affected by social determinants of health, things that, that most, lots of communities that don't have to deal with day-to-day, housing, food shortages, food deserts. Uh, not being able to pay for their medicines. Those are things that we are focused on to make sure that we improve the lives of people in that community every day. And I think that's one of the things that people don't, I, I believe, don't don't quite understand when we talk about um, uh, health issues. Uh, the reality is, and, and not just that, but also the stress that people also under, undergo. All of those things have an impact sure. on someone's health. Uh, and so people think it's all about, well, if you have health care or not. Uh, but no, if if, if, if you uh, if you having issues if you if it's poverty if you're dealing with in areas of crime if you don't have of course uh, a quality foods all of that impacts the type of diseases you get later in life. I agree. Ninety percent of people's health is, effect, is is determined by their environmental factors, where they live, what they eat, how they eat, the stresses in the community. Ten percent is about clinical care. Uh, and I think you'd be surprised. Most people think that the United States healthcare system is one of the best in the world. It is. It has lots of access for people, but not enough. And we typically fall behind other developed countries in the world in health outcomes as well as life expectancy. Uh, th- those are all things that have been created because we are the environment in which people live in don't support them having great access, great food, eliminating stress, all the things you just talked about. And I think that's one of the things that when we, when we have these discussions and we have these battles, I mean, the, the uh, Democrats had a debate the other night, uh, and that was this huge back and forth uh, in terms of Medicare for all and, and what taxes go up. And, and I'm sitting here and I'm listening to it, and, and I, think, I think part of the problem, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I always say this here, that the, the issue in America, everything comes down to money. And so every conversation is always money, money, money. And so to have this health care conversation where it's all about, well, will taxes go up or, 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 or not, I think misses the point yeah. to, if you, to have what I call a more holistic discussion about health, health care and wellness in this nation. I completely agree with you. The American Heart Association has been in the forefront of making sure everybody has access to quality health care in every community. If we think about the cost that is incurred from the disease burden that we pay for indirectly, it pales in comparison to the cost of funding health care. Everybody in this country, we believe, should have access to and deserves health care. How we pay for it, we'll all figure that out. But we're paying for it indirectly every day anyway. Well, I, well, I remind, look, I cover county government mm-hmm. uh, when I was at the Austin American Statesman. And I remind people all the time, I said, no, there is a national health care plan. I said, county county hospitals, you they are required to serve you no matter who goes in. Uh, I said, that's the law. I said, who do you think is paying for that? I said when when I was in uh, Tarrant County, then of course when I was in Tarrant County in Fort Worth and Dallas County in Dallas, and then when I was in Cook County in Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, Cook County. Remember there, they had anywhere from four to six hundred million dollars in uh, overruns because of uh, folks coming in uh, to the county hospital. I said, folks, 
you're going to pay for that. Yeah. So you, you're complaining at a debate, will taxes go up? They had to raise taxes yeah. in order to pay off uh, th- that uh, that deficit. Because they have a hidden expense. And think about the deferred maintenance. If people can't access their medications, if people can't access primary care or specialty care, they defer all of that. So that means that their health status gets worse, and by the time they finally show up at some place, it is either too late or incredibly expensive to, to, to turn things around for that particular individual. If we had a rational system where everybody had access, appropriate access, as well as dealing with those social determinants, you know, we can't just give people access to clinical care. We have to make sure that the environments they live in allow them to thrive, and as communities thrive, people tend to live, live longer, are healthier. Give an example. We're, we both spent time in Chicago, right? So within a nine-mile radius in Chicago, there's a 30-year mortality difference. And that's all has to do with what's available in those communities, the stresses you talked about, the lack of food, the lack of access to, to care, the, not enough money to pay for their medication, and, and challenges with jobs. All of that affects people's health care. We believe that we have to, we have to focus on that, too, if we're going to solve this problem. So how do you then do, how, how do you then deal with the not my backyard attitude? Because the reality is we lay all those things out and then folks go, look, that ain't got nothing to do with me. Okay. Those folks should work harder and to improve their lives. I mean, that, that's always seemed to be the default. And then of course, until something happens in their neighborhood and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, can we please get some governmental assistance? Well, I, can, I, I certainly understand that. You know, I can't answer all of that because I, you know, I, I don't know everybody's issue, but everything eventually hits your backyard. And I'll, I'll give you a classic example of the opioid crisis that we're dealing with right now, right? Vaping, which we have a very strong position about vaping. That hits everybody's community. And so my neighbor's challenges are my challenges. We have to have that dialogue and, and point that out at how heart disease and stroke is the number one killer of everybody in America. Everyone. So it, to the extent that we can sh- share that experience and let people know that Everybody is affected by this, and if, if you help this community, their community will be improved too. That's how we uh, hopefully we have a, a, a collective and constructive dialogue around that issue. Last question Are you also looking at, in terms of look, people operating in silos, are you also looking at these other organizations, American Cancer Society, and other organizations saying, okay, we all have to also operate sort of as a collective uh, to, sp- to, uh, to, to speak to that issue. Because I think what happens is, I think the general public, if they, they hear American Heart Association, okay, okay, y'all just worried about people who have strokes and heart attacks. Yeah. And the American Cancer you just worried about, okay, cancer. But what you're talking about, actually, whether you're talking about lupus, whether you're talking about cancer, whether you're talking about any of the diseases, all of those sort of are operating in the same space. I completely agree with you. And one of the wonderful things about the American Heart Association is we have an amazing CEO, Nancy Brown. One of the things she does best is work with those coalitions. So we just announced not too long ago a collaboration with the National American Diabetes Association. Typically, people who have diabetes are have comorbidities of heart disease and stroke. Typically, they will they die from one of those two things, not diabetes, right? So working with them is a natural extension of what we do. Right. We have to be holistic in the community. We can't be a single disease organization. All right. Well, certainly congratulations on Thank becoming uh, the new chair, and I uh, look forward to working with you. I'm excited and look forward to working with you as well. Uh, and thanks for today. I appreciate it. Folks, we have, of course, the Business Accelerator Program. So i got to go. we got to go downstairs uh, to start that program. Uh, of course, we'll be uh, later uh, streaming that uh, for all of you. You might remember we were in North Carolina in April uh, where we had uh, the program then, and so you can
can go to the YouTube channel and actually check that out. So we're looking forward to that program. Uh, and then uh, I got to go. Here's a t- deal. Tomorrow we'll be broadcasting from Chicago, uh, side of Lewis Carr's men's conference. And again, we'll have more coverage on the death of Congressman Elijah Cummings, who passed away uh, early this morning at the age of 68. As I said, uh, I had reached out uh, to his wife, Dr. Ma Rocky Moore uh, Cummings, uh, this morning uh, once I got the, uh, the 5 a.m. phone call uh, notifying me about his passing. And so we will have funeral details uh, and all of that for you uh, as they become available. Don't forget, if you want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered, please go to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Uh, you can join our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, of course, uh, just go to the site. All the details on there uh, as well. And so uh, we shall see you tomorrow from Chicago. And again, um, we certainly uh, extend our thoughts and prayers to the family of Congressman Elijah Cummings, as well as uh, Congressional Black Caucus and his constituents, the folks, of course, who knew him well uh, there in Baltimore. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.